All right. We are going to be in Romans chapter 7 this morning. So Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to just see if I can... Hey, Travis, I, I turned the volume down on your guitar just because I was getting a little buzz. Just so when you get up, he'll be like, why am I not? It's not making any noise. <laughs> All right, so Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. A little long, right? And we're going to have to unpack some of this stuff, but it's good stuff. Uh, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, That the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters... You also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive, Uh, apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, In order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so I'm going to start by kind of posing you a question. It's uh, something that was brought to my attention. Uh, Someone uh, on, actually it was on Facebook, had encountered this meme, uh, and it was, it was an atheist meme, and they uh, shared it and wanted to know how they could respond to this, or like, what would a good response be for this? Now, the meme, the, it doesn't really have a picture, it's just the words, so I'm going to share to you, I'm going to share what it says, and I want you to think for a minute, you don't have to, I'm not asking for you to shout out any answers or, or raise your hand, but I just want you to think how you might respond to this idea that's present here, okay? Here it is. It says, take comfort in the fact that when an atheist is kind to you, it's not because they're trying to get into heaven. 
So one more time, in case, you know, because you're not reading it. Take comfort in the fact that when an atheist is kind to you, it's not because they're trying to get into heaven. So, you don't have to shout anything out, but think about that for a minute. Think about uh, what your response to that might be. And I'll tell you, I mean, a few things immediately jumped to my head uh, when I first heard this, uh, both of them along the lines of kind of, so what? Um, The first thing I thought was, um, okay, so even if that were true, so what? Like, if someone feeds the homeless, are they any less fed because the person did it because they're trying to get into heaven, right? Uh, You know, uh, would the hungry person say, this meal doesn't taste as good because you're doing it for the wrong reason, right? No. Food is food, right? Help is help. Then the other thing I also thought was, also along the lines of so what, was, all right, so an atheist isn't doing it to get into heaven. So what? I mean, we don't know why they're doing it. That doesn't mean their motives are good. But there is actually a deeper answer and a more correct answer to that sort of question that it poses there, right? The idea that a Christian is only doing good in order to get into heaven. And we're going to find the answer to that in today's text. And so let's start talking about that. We started this uh, new series, um, Victory, um, because following on the heels of Easter and the resurrection of Christ, we're going to be talking about the victory that we have in Jesus through his resurrection and the difference that his resurrection makes in our life. And that's something that we see uh, really on display here in Romans. In fact, um, last week, Pastor Chris began this by talking about baptism and how through baptism we partake in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, The verse that we used last week was the one where it says, um, don't you know that when you were baptized, you were buried with Christ into death? Just as Jesus was raised to a new life, so you also will be raised to a new life. So through baptism, we participate in Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. We experience the power of the resurrection in our own lives. And that is something that the Apostle Paul was very familiar with. See, the Apostle Paul uh, started out his career by persecuting Christians. He was Jewish and uh, he was really on fire for his faith. And in Christianity, he saw a threat to Judaism. So he persecuted Christians. He identified them. He helped round them up and uh, was responsible even for some of them being executed. So it's not a big stretch to say he was responsible for murdering Christians. And then one day, uh, as he was walking along the road, the risen Jesus Christ appeared to him. And I once heard someone say that you cannot have an encounter with the risen Christ and not be changed. And so the Apostle Paul was certainly changed in that moment when he encountered Christ on that road. And I love what Jesus said to him. He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And the reason I love that is because what it says about us. You see, Paul was persecuting Christians. And yet Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? So think about what that means. 
in regards to who we are as Christians. And so the Apostle Paul experienced the risen Christ, the power of the risen Christ, and then he experienced that power in his own life because it changed him. It changed him from the guy who persecuted Christians and turned him into the apostle that wrote like half the books of the New Testament and that spread Christianity all over the land. Paul knew very well the power of the risen Christ and that's why we see it flow all through the book of Romans. All through the book of Romans, Paul talks about uh, God's power to change, God's power to bring life, God's power to bring victory. We see it in the very first chapter, chapter one. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God. And then in the very last chapter of Romans, he reminds them of this moment of victory. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. All through Romans, Paul talks about the power of Christ in our lives, just like we see it in our own lives. We see that changing and transforming power of the risen Christ all through our lives from beginning to end, from the moment we are baptized and buried with him and raised to a new life, as we continue on a journey of faith where we continue to receive his power from word and sacrament, encouragement with one another, up until the very end, when we know we will go home and one day Jesus will come again and we will experience a physical resurrection to go along with the spiritual one we have already encountered. You see, Jesus raises us to life. It is in Jesus that we find life. The reason Paul is writing to the Romans about this, however, the reason he is uh, going out of his way to teach this to them is because the Romans had begun to turn elsewhere to find life. Having received Jesus, they now thought they needed something different. And so they were turning backwards for them, back to the law, believing that now they had to keep Jewish customs and Jewish traditions and follow the laws of the Old Testament in order to find life. And I think that's something that can resonate with us. I think that it, there's this interesting dichotomy that happens. Well, you know what? First, maybe I should define what it means when we say the law. Maybe I should talk about that because it's a little bit more than just the laws of the Old Testament. You see, when God gave the law in the Old Testament, he gave it through Moses, right? He gave the Ten Commandments, which is what we call the moral law, right? Don't kill, don't steal, don't worship any other gods, all those things, right? But then because the nation of Israel was also a nation, he gave them civil laws, laws by which they could govern and rule over the people. And because they had this, he had established this intricate sacrificial and temple-based system, they had all these ritual laws. 
over how to worship and how to remain clean and how to, who's unclean and how to become clean and all those different things. And along with all those laws, he accompanied him with this instruction. Do this and you will live. Here's the law. Do this and you will live. So even though it originated in the Old Testament, really the law, as Paul talks about it, means any time that God tells us what to do, any time that he says, in essence, do this and you will live. So even in the New Testament, when Jesus says something like, love your neighbor as yourself, he is giving the law. It's a law of love, but it's law nonetheless. When Jesus says things like, if you don't do the will of my Father in heaven, you have no part of him. That is the law. When the Apostle Paul instructed the church in Corinth to remove a guy from their fellowship because he was living an immoral life, that is the law. The law is anytime the Bible tells us, God tells us, do this and you will live. And of course, uh, you know, it, the opposite is implied. Don't do this and you will die. That is the law. And the Romans, the church in Rome, rather, were turning back to the law to try to find life. And I think we often find ourselves wanting to turn back to the law. And it's funny because on the one hand, we don't like the law. On the one hand, uh, you know, the whole basis of sin and rebellion against God is that idea that we don't want to follow his law. I like, you know, the best way to put it, I still say, is the old schoolyard phrase, you're not the boss of me, right? That's how we feel. We don't, don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. We want to be our own boss. And yet, at the same time, it is very much like kids. Because those of us that are parents, we know this, right? Kids will rebel. They will test us. They will push boundaries, right? We'll tell them to do something, and they will sometimes deliberately not do it. Just to see what will happen. You know it's true. But yet, at the same time, we also know that they crave rules. That they actually want boundaries. Because they make them feel safe. And they make them feel loved. You see, the Bible tells us that the law is written on our hearts. And so we understand the law. It makes sense to us. The idea that we would be rewarded for doing what is right and punished for doing what is wrong, it makes sense. It seems logical. It even seems fair to a certain extent. And so we understand it and we feel comfortable with it. But you see, the gospel, the gospel makes no sense whatsoever. The gospel, basically, God says, uh, you don't have to do it because I did it for you, right? You don't have to be perfect because Jesus was perfect for you. If our children did that, we'd tell them they were cheating. Dad, I didn't do my homework. I had my friend do it for me, right? 
We go, that's wrong. You can't do that. And yet that's exactly what God does for us. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. That is why the Bible says that Christ crucified is a stumbling block for the Greeks. Blasphemy for the Jews, right? It is hard to get past because it makes no sense, but the law makes sense. And so even after we've received Christ, even after we've gone, okay, yeah, yeah, I know all my sins are forgiven in Jesus. That's great. But now tell me, what do I have to do? Right? I have to do something, right? So just tell me, what do I have to do? And even if it we're not applying it to salvation, we still love to be told what to do. Right? Pastor, what are the seven steps to having a great marriage? Right? What are the, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, we just love, we love that law-based teaching. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do so I can have better relationships. Tell me what to do so, uh, you know, I can be healthy. Uh, Tell me what to do so I can be happier. Just tell me what to do. That is seeking to find life in the law. And it doesn't work. So about eight years ago, maybe it was longer, I don't know, uh, we, uh, we, we cut the cord, as they say. We got rid of cable, and uh, we lived without it for a long time. We just would use, like, Netflix and stuff like that. Well, uh, about six months ago or so, uh, we finally got cable again. And I'm really excited about it. Uh, you guys probably not so much, because you're like, oh, geez, he already talks about that so much. Uh, but so we got cable again, and so I'm able to watch all these shows that I wasn't able to watch before. And so I started watching this one show uh, called Forged in Fire. It's on the History Channel. Anyone familiar with this show? Oh, yeah, good. Some, some fans out there, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, so in this show, it's kind of a reality show, uh, they have knife makers, uh, like, you know, uh, blacksmiths, and they have them forge knives and swords and other various weapons. And then it's like a contest. They start with four, and they narrow it down to three, and then two, and then the two finalists, they send home to make some historic weapon, like a medieval longsword or a Japanese katana or something like that, right? And then they come back a week later with the weapon that they've made, and then they test it for three things. They test it for strength and durability, and usually they do something ridiculous that the weapon was never meant to do, like chop through a cinder block or something, right? And then they test it for sharpness, and then they test it for lethality, right? To see if the blade will kill, because it's supposed to be a weapon. And to do this, they've got one of the judges on the show, uh, his name is Doug, I can't remember his last name. He's actually a really good martial artist, practices this Filipino martial art called Eskrima, uh, which uses a lot of like blades and swords and sticks too. But, uh, and so he will test their weapon on this little dummy they make. And they make this little dummy out of ballistic gel like that's used to test firearms. But they make it almost like uh, morbidly realistic. They, they put like a fake rib cage in there and fake like organs and fake blood. And so then the guy, this guy will go to town on, on the you know, the ballistic dummy. He'll go to t- with the weapon. He'll just hack at it and stab it and stuff like that. And then he'll give his little assessment. 
<coughs> and I don't know if he has, I think he himself is from the Philippines, and so I don't know if he has a little bit of an accent or if he's just kind of cheesing it up or hamming it up or whatever, but he will describe then everything that happened, right? He'll be like, oh, it cut all the way through here and you broke, it broke ribs, you know, and uh, it, it lacerated here, and then he will give them their final judgment. He'll give them their final judgment, and uh, he will look at them, I'm going to use Jeff, because he'll say their name, and he'll do this. He'll go, Jeff, your blade will kill. Like that, right? And it's, it's both kind of creepy and also hilarious at the same time, the way the guy says it. And my daughter and I watch the show together. I have no idea why a 12-year-old girl likes that show, but, but she'll watch it with me, and we laugh about that all the time, right? And we'll say it to each other. So I have given that whole thing, that whole long setup, so I can say this one thing. <laughs> the law does not bring life. The law will kill. <laughs> that is what it does. Uh, Paul says this in verse 10. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. You see, the law doesn't say, try to do this and you will live. The law doesn't say, do your best and you will live. The law says, do this and you will live. And if you're not doing all of this all of the time, you're not doing it. And so when we look at the law and we look at the life that we lead, what it ends up doing is revealing that we are sinners who don't actually keep the law. We may keep some of it some of the time, but we don't keep all of it all of the time. And that's what it says. Do this and you will live. And so we look at the law and we realize that we are sinners. And what does the Bible say about sin? It says the wages of sin is death. So the law does not have the power to bring life. The law only has the power to kill. Jesus is the one that brings life. It is in Jesus that we find life. In verse four, Paul says, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. You see, through Christ and his death on the cross, we die to the law. Because he paid the price for our sins, we are no longer condemned by the law. It's just like the example of the widow that he uses. That the contract is broken when one of the parties dies. You are no longer bound by it. And we have died through Christ. So the contract that said, do this and live, don't do it and you will die, that contract has been broken. It no longer applies to us. The law no longer condemns us because we have died with Christ. 
But we didn't just die with Christ. We also were raised with Christ. We also have new life with Christ. And in that life, we live now as his people. I finish verse 4, right? It says, uh, my brothers and sisters, you died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. And then hear this, in order that we might bear fruit for God. You see, uh, we didn't die to the law just so that we could go and say, oh great, the law does not condemn me now, so I can do whatever I want. No, we have been raised to life for a purpose. And that purpose is that we bear fruit for God. That purpose is that we live as his people. That purpose is that we be imitators of Christ and do the things that he did. That is the life that we are called to. And that is also the answer to that ridiculous atheist meme. Because the whole assumption there is that we have to do good things to get into heaven. In other words, to be saved. And we've just spent 20 minutes talking about how Jesus did it all for us. He paid the price on the cross. He has brought us life. We don't have to do anything to get into heaven because he's already done it for us. And so when a Christian is kind or a Christian does the right thing or a Christian helps someone, we are doing it simply because that's who we are now. Because we have been raised to new life as his people and we are a people who love their neighbor. We are a people who are kind. We are a people who care for one another. Not because of the law, but because we have found life in Christ. And in his name, amen.